Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you can always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Sangle. Hello. Hi. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's nice out. It's super nice out. My family and I are going to go for a nature walk this afternoon. That's really exciting. Willie... And I are trying to outside as much as possible, but I also need sunscreen. So I'm glad that we have this little break so I can go inside, get sunscreen and then go back out. Well, we have finished Wicked Mock Madness and this is now. Mm -hmm. Thank you again to Mark. Yes, Mark, you are a gem and thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed your month of witchy witchcraft. Yep. And if you're ever depressed, just re-listen to every single episode until you're happy again on a loop yep think of the the oyster of christ compels you which is now a fun merch design if you want to be sacrilegious and wear an oyster with a flaming crown i like the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah of any area where the four horsemen might appear is probably where i live which wouldn't be that far off the mark actually yeah truly (laughs) (laughs) And on that fun note, yeah, what's the theme for today? This week's episode is dedicated to our friend Glaza, and we are going to be talking about Belle Star, the queen of the Oklahoma outlaws. Ooh, talking about badass women. Yep, in the wild, wild west. Dang. All right, I'm ready. And we haven't done a wild west story since uh, the grass. Oh, yeah, since the death grass. I forgot about the vendors. I was thinking of um, Black Bart. Yeah. The horrible poet. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing his best. All right. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 biography article, Alice Obscura, Britannica.com, Genie.com, History.com, Legends of America, Oklahoma Historical Society article by Adriana G. Schroeder, the Texas State Historical Association Handbook of Texas article by Leon C. Metz. I don't know why they felt they had to say Texas twice, but it's all right. Uh, Wikipedia and Wikitree. They just want to make sure you know it's Texas. They really want you to know it's coming from Texas, even though this is Oklahoma, right? It's kind of all over the place. You'll see once we get into it. Got it. Basically, everything west of the Mississippi is fair game. Dang. Okay. So links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Myra Maybell Shirley Starr was born on a small farm Mm -hmm. on February 5th, 1848 in Carthage, Missouri, to parents Judge John Shirley and Elizabeth Eliza Hatfield Shirley. I'm sorry, we need to take a break and acknowledge the fact that her name is a My Little Pony name. Pretty much, yeah. Like, 
when she was birthed, glitter and rainbows came out. Yeah. Like, say her, say her full name one more time. Myra Maybell Shirley Starr. Dang. That's a good name. Yeah, I could totally see it. Yeah. That's a good name. Wow. Congratulations yep. on the birth. <laughs> she was the third of six children and the sister of Charlotte Amanda Shirley Thompson, born in 1838. John Bud Allison Shirley, born in 1842. Edwin Benton Shirley, born in 1850. Mansfield Shirley, born in 1852. And Cravens John Oliver Shirley, born in 1858. Wow. They were really good at naming kids. They were. They had a indie band in the making. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Who's playing the spoons? <laughs> Unironically. I'm going to say Mansfield. Edwin. Oh, Edwin. Yeah, Edwin. Mansfield can play like the, the washboard. The washboard. There you go. Yeah. I think Cravens is more of a jug guy. He's a jug Cravens man. Definitely a jug man. Absolutely. Judge Shirley was the black sheep of his family after he had moved west. He was part of a rich mucky muck family from Virginia. And they were like, what the fuck? When he decided to move west. He's like, I like dirt and danger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to birth my own indie band. <laughs> They're like, fine. After moving to Indiana, he'd married and divorced twice before marrying Belle's mother, Eliza. Mm. Belle was born into a family of outlaw royalty as her mother was a distant relative of the infamous Hatfield and McCoy family. So she was part of the infamous Hatfields of the Hatfield and McCoy feud. Wow. Right? That's intense. Yeah. John and Elizabeth married on May 11th, 1837, and later moved in 1839 to Jasper County, Missouri. John raised wheat, corn, hogs, and horses, and the family enjoyed financial success for the next decade, in addition to welcoming five of their six children. Nice. Sounds like a really good deal for somebody yeah. who, like, probably didn't do a lot of annual heavy labor their entire lives mm -hmm. and then decided to like raise horses and corn like that's not easy none yeah. of that is easy i doubt he like really did a lot of the dirty work i'm sure he had i'm fix, sure he had but. help yeah well and i don't i don't really mention it in the story but i did read that they were pro-slavery so chances are they may have had some slaves yeah because where, where are they at this point? They're in Missouri at this point. Yeah, they definitely did. Yeah. They absolutely did. So the family moved to Carthage, Missouri in 1856 after they sold their land. And after they arrived, they built an inn, tavern, blacksmith shop, and a livery stable. Wow. Making their own town. Pretty much. Like they, I read that they basically had like an entire city block of just like businesses. Yeah. I mean, if you go to a new place and you're establishing it, that's kind of one of the things you have to do. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have a blacksmith shop. I'm just going to make it. Yeah, like, I got yeah. you. John established himself as a respected member of the growing city of Carthage and became a member of the county seat. And that's when he became a judge. Uh-oh. He was a pillar of the community? He was. Uh-oh. It'll, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. okay. This is one of those rare instances where he's not a homicidal maniac okay. that we are aware of anyway. Right. And two years after they arrived, they welcomed their sixth and final child. 
Growing up, Belle was raised as a spoiled rich girl, which is one of two daughters in a family of boys isn't all that surprising. Nope. She attended the Carthage Female Academy, where she was a bright student that learned the basics of an education for women at that time. So who knows what that is. And maybe some colors. Maybe some basic arithmetic. Who knows? Right. She knew how to count to 20, ladies and gentlemen. And how to sew, you know, like, because she'll need to be able to darn socks and all that fun stuff. Anything higher was demonic. Yep. As well as classical languages and music. And it said she was particularly gifted at piano. Nice. It probably won't surprise you to learn that Belle had no qualms flaunting her status. And while she had polite manners, she loved to have an audience. Yeah, I feel like if you're... Was she... She was the third? She was the third child. Third of six. So she's pseudo-middle. Basically middle, yeah. And her family is prominently known Mm -hmm. for owning a portion of the town. I would assume that it would just kind of happen. Because you're just given so much attention all the time that you would naturally like be traumatized if you didn't have attention on you. Mm -hmm. That's all you know. Well, if you think about it, she was like, the baby of the girls. So, of course, right. she's going to be, you know, wanting all that attention. Right. And she's, like, probably the most eligible mm-hmm. lady in the town. One of them, at least. Yeah. Yeah. She enjoyed being outdoors and roaming the countryside with her older brother, John, who they referred to as Bud, who taught her how to ride and shoot. Nice. And you're probably thinking, when do we get to the outlaw stuff? Well, here we go. <laughs> right, right now for bud powder how to shoot <laughs> yep right now everything changed for bell when the kansas missouri border war also known as bleeding kansas started in 1854 mm. as both armies passed through jasper county residents had to choose which side they supported which caused lots of tension amongst the members of carthage I bet. bands of jayhawkers And these are people who were pro-union and anti-slavery, and they were a little bit more militant in their actions. So a little more extremist. A little more extremist. And then, and Red Legs, who were a more secretive organization of abolitionists. I'm thinking people who be more like the Underground Railroad type of people. Okay. They basically came in and laid waste to Missouri in support of the union. Okay. And during the Civil War, which started on April 12th, 1861, Bud joined up with Quantrill's Raiders, a group of outlaws led by William Quantrill, a ruthless bushwhacker. And those are people who were for the Confederacy wholeheartedly, like to the point where it was really extreme. Yeah. Which I included here, a ruthless bushwhacker who was Mm pro-slavery and chose the side of the Confederates during the Border War. Quantrill would go down in history as the leader of one of the most psychopathic groups of killers in America. Awesome. Since Bud knew the area so well, he served first as a scout, but he quickly rose in the ranks before becoming a captain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately for Bud, he was killed in June of 1864 in Sarcoxie, Missouri. I am guessing on the pronunciation of that. The raids that had taken place in Carthage during this time severely damaged John Sr.'s businesses, especially the burning of Carthage in 1863. Yeah. And after the death of their son, the Shirleys sold their shops and home before moving to a farm near Cyan, or Cyan, S-C-Y-E-N-E. Cyan? 
Cyan. That's kind of what I was thinking. Cyan, Texas, which is a settlement southeast of Dallas. Oh, yeah, that makes sense that they would go further south. The James Younger Gang established themselves in Liberty, Missouri on February 13th, 1866 by robbing their first bank, the Clay County Savings Association, running off with $6,000 of cash and bonds, which would be just under $108,000 today. After splitting up Jesse James, arguably one of the most famous outlaws in history, his brother Frank and the Younger Brothers who were Thomas Coleman, James Harden, John Harrison, and Robert Ewing, fled to Texas soon after meeting Bell in July of 1866. Okay. Bell was instantly smitten with Thomas Coleman, who was known as Cole, and shortly after she joined their gang. Nice. One band of outlaws stayed at the Shirley home one night after seeking refuge while they were on the run. And it was at this time that Bell was reunited with her first true love, Jim Reed. Ooh, who's Jim Reed? The Reeds and Shirley's had been family friends back in Carthage, so the two had known each other for some time. And since his family was such good friends with the Shirley's, and at that time Jim wasn't a wanted man, Bell's parents approved the match, and the pair soon married on November 1st, 1866. Hmm. Jim was 21 and Bell was 18. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty late, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I think they're not. Around this time, they're not pushing for people to marry as young anymore. Yeah. But I'm sure that was still, especially for a a debutante type of person, I'm sure that was still late. Because I feel like at this point in history, women were, had their like, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the term now. It's not necessarily a a coming out party, but it's more like an introduction to society type of party. I feel like they had those when they were like 16 was the norm. So if you think of that, then, yeah, she was a couple years late in her betrothal, I guess. Yeah. Jim moved into the Shirley home and helped on the farm before establishing himself in Dallas as a salesman for a bridal and saddle maker. And a year later, the pair moved back to Missouri, where they lived with the Reed family. So where they lived with his parents. Okay. Bell gave birth to Rosa Lee Reed in September of 1868 at the age of 20 in Rich Hill, Missouri. Bell was completely smitten with Rosa and referred to her as Pearl, which was a nickname that was quickly adopted as her kind of pseudo new name. Okay. By the time Jill and Bell had moved in with his family in Missouri, Jim was already wanted by the law for allegedly murdering a man named Shannon in Arkansas. After the birth of Pearl, the young family moved to California in the hopes of evading capture. And in 1869, the pair and two other outlaws rode into North Canadian River, which I think was in Oklahoma, but it could also be in New Mexico because of where the river kind of goes. Okay. It was unclear what the exact location was, but it was somewhere along that river. Somewhere along there. Okay. And once there, they tortured a native of the area until he revealed to them where he had hidden $30,000 in gold which would be just wow. under $592,000 today. Dang. So, you know, chump change. Yeah, no big deal. The couple, and I'm assuming their daughter, though I didn't find anything that verified this for sure, returned to Texas with their share of the gold. And it was at this time that Bell earned the moniker of Bandit Queen and the Petticoat Terror of the Plains. <laughs> the Petticoat Terror of the Plains. I like that one best. Yeah, that's pretty 
pretty good. And at some point, the family must have returned to California because Belle gave birth to their son, James Edwin Reed, on February 22nd, 1871 in Los Nitos. At this point, Belle was 23. Okay. James would go on to be known as Edward or Ed because his father's name was James. Got it. Unfortunately for the happy couple, Jim was gunned down in Paris, Texas in August of 1874 during the infamous holdup of the Austin San Antonio stagecoach. After this, mm. Belle ran a livery stable in Dallas before she left her two children, now age six and three, with her mother and hit the dusty trail. Okay. What her life crisis? Mid-20 life crisis, I guess. Yeah. What her life? Yeah. When she was in Oklahoma, she met and became romantically involved with a native outlaw that went by the name of Blue Duck, but their romance didn't last for long. I wonder why. Well, and descriptions of him were really mean. They called him flat-faced. And I was like, that's just mean. And, ra- and racist. Mm-hmm. Belle encountered the younger gang again, specifically Bruce Wilson, who was 29 when he and Belle got married on May 15, 1880 in Chautauqua, Kansas. The pair were married for three weeks before they parted ways. Okay. And this marriage hasn't been confirmed, but I did see it noted several times during my research. So you can kind of decide for yourself if it was true or not. Because Belle went on to marry a Cherokee man named Sam Starr a few months later on June 5th, 1880 in the Cherokee Nation. And the couple settled on his 62 acres of land north of the Canadian River near present day Eufaula, Oklahoma. Nice. Yeah, I can see why it wasn't confirmed because her that is a heavily racist area, heavily racist time. And uh, her parents were probably not happy that she married. Yeah. Cherokee man. Well, and the, the man that she married prior to that, that was for like three weeks. He was white. But yeah, I'm sure getting married on the Cherokee Nation land was for a reason. Yeah. Sam was 11 years younger than her. So, Ooh, okay. so get it. Changing it up. Yep. Belle dubbed the property Younger's Bend, apparently in honor of Cole Younger, the outlaw she had first fallen in love with, who lured her into a life of crime. He lured her. During this time, she was known to carry one or two pistols, wear gold earrings, and often wore velvet dresses and a plumed men's hat. And she also had, she'd wear like ammunition belts, like on her hips. A velvet dress is quite a choice for Southern the southern part of the United States. Yeah, it's quite the fashion statement. It'd be hot. Yeah, it'd be hot as balls. Velvet. Dang. She also was known to ride her favorite mare, Venus. Checked out with her whole look. Luke. Yep. yep. Belle and Sam formed their own gang and hidden away off the Canadian River, they began a life of crime by cattle wrestling, stealing horses, and even bootlegging whiskey to the local Cherokee tribe. And it was during this time that Belle learned the best ways to execute their crimes so they wouldn't get caught. Nice. She was the mastermind. And at one point during her time at Younger's Bend, she welcomed an old friend from Missouri for a time. Sam wasn't too sure about this man that he described as, quote, cold and silent with blinking blue eyes, end quote. Belle never told him that the man who had stayed with them for several months was none other than Jesse James himself. Really? Yep. Crazy. Yeah. 
Bell and Sam had quite a lucrative career as outlaws. Bell used their earnings to bribe local officials whenever a member of the gang was captured in order to gain their freedom. And if money didn't work, she'd use her feminine wiles to entice the lawman to let them go. I mean, sure. If you want. Yep. The couple lived fairly close to Fort Smith in Arkansas, which was where Magistrate Judge Isaac Parker resided. Judge Parker was more commonly known as the Hanging Judge. Ew. Yeah. And he wanted to see Belle behind bars no matter what. Of course he did. Several times over the years, she was brought in on charges of bootlegging or cattle rustling, but was ultimately let go due to lack of evidence. Her luck ran out in late 1882 when she was caught in the act of stealing a neighbor's horse. At her trial, he sentenced her to two consecutive six-month prison terms at the Detroit House of Corrections, and Sam was sentenced to a year. Hmm. So they both went to the same prison. Okay. Belle was noted as being a model prisoner during her stay and earned the respect of the prison matron while Sam was known as a bit of a rabble-rouser and ended up having to do hard labor. After the pair were released, they returned to Younger's Bend, where they immediately turned back to a life of crime. I mean, why not? Yep. Both were brought into Fort Smith by U.S. Marshals in 1886 for stealing horses and committing robbery. They were tried the next day, but ultimately the case was dismissed, again, due to lack of evidence. And at this point in history, Bell had become famous. In fact, Richard K. Fox, publisher of the National Police Gazette, referred to her as, quote, a female Robin Hood and a Jesse James, end quote. And she was dubbed the Bandit Queen around this time. Interesting. I bet she loved that. I'm sure she did. Especially with, like, how much she loved attention as a younger woman. Mm Mm-hmm. In an interview with the Dallas Morning News in 1886, Bell was quoted as saying, quote, I am a friend to any brave and gallant outlaw, end quote, as she told that she would welcome any outlaw to her home should they need shelter. That's not a good, I mean, no, I don't, you shouldn't do that. It's a pretty, pretty bold statement to make in print. Yes, it was probably mostly for shock value. I'm sure it was. For a short time, Belle even worked as an outlaw bandit in a Wild West show where she'd hold up stagecoaches as part of her act. Oh, funny. Of course, she would kind of mock what she actually does. Yep. And it was during a Christmas party on December 17th, 1886, that Belle would lose her husband, Sam. He and an old rival, a lawman named Frank West, got into a gunfight where both men died from their wound from gunshot wounds. Hmm. She and Sam had been happily married for six years and Sam was only 27 when he died. Wow. Yeah. It might not surprise you to learn that Belle soon married once again. In 1887, though some places noted as late as 1889, she married the much younger Jim Bill July, who at the time of their marriage was only 26, compared to Belle, who at this time was 39. Mm -hmm. I love that his last name was July. Right. Bill July. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This marriage would prove to be fatal for Belle as their relationship was particularly violent. After a bad quarrel, Jim offered to pay a fellow gang member $200 to kill Bell, which would be about $5,800 today. Wow. When the man refused, Jim was noted as screaming, quote, hell, I'll kill the old hag myself and spend the money for whiskey, end quote. Fun. Just what you want your husband to say about you. Yeah. 
True to his word, a few days later, on February 3rd, 1889, Bell was shot twice, once in the back and neck and again in the shoulder and face during an ambush on her way back home. And she died at the age of 40, just two days shy of her 41st birthday. And I should have said she was riding her horse at the time. So they shot her in the back and knocked her off her horse. And then they they shot her in the face to make sure that she was actually dead. After her death, an investigation was made and several suspects were questioned. Obviously, her husband, Jim, Mm -hmm. but also a man named Edgar Watson, her son, Ed, who at that time was 18, and her daughter, Pearl, who was 21. Edgar Watson was a prime suspect as Bell apparently threatened to turn him in for murder after she kicked him off her land where he had been renting like a section. Okay. It's believed that he had ambushed her when she was out on a lonely trail by herself, but there was not enough evidence to convict him. One motive was that Bell had caught her husband Jim fooling around with a young Cherokee girl back in July of 1888, which would obviously put a strain on their marriage. Yep. Um, And I should note that Jim was actually, I believe, her late husband Sam's nephew, which is kind of gross. Unsettling. Yeah, which would explain the age difference. Yep. At this time, Belle was also estranged from her son, and there was speculation that she had beaten him regularly with a bullwhip in addition to having an incestuous relationship with him. Oh, I hope those aren't true. I only found it noted in one place, so I'm going to assume it's just malicious Somebody rumors. Somebody really didn't like her. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm just assuming it's malicious rumors. Even Pearl had a motive after Belle had interfered with Pearl's marriage to the father of her child. Oh. And this is where things get tricky because Pearl was supposedly married four times and had a child with each of her husbands. Okay. So I'm not sure which marriage she would have interfered with as all of them took place prior to Belle's death. Hmm. And at the time, there's probably somebody reaching. Yeah. Or someone that didn't know that she actually had. Several children with several different men. Yeah. At the time of Belle's death, Pearl owned several bordellos in Van Buren and Fort Smith, Arkansas, after she took up a career as a, quote, lady of the evening. Oh. She ran the establishments from 1890 all the way to World War I. And Belle's murder remained unsolved. Yeah. Just like a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) Regardless, her husband, Bill, was gunned down a few weeks later by a deputy that had been tracking him down. So I guess some justice had been served. Okay. Bell was buried in, in the front yard of the cabin she and her late husband, Sam, had shared at Younger's Bend. A month after her interment, her grave was robbed with the culprit stealing not only her jewelry, but the gun that she'd been buried with. Dang. A few months after that, Pearl had a stonecutter place a protective sandstone structure and monument at the site of her mother's grave that had an image of her mother's favorite horse, Venus, carved at the top. The monument was inscribed with the following, quote, shed not for her the bitter tear, nor give the heart to vain regret. Tis but the casket that lies here, the gem that fills it sparkles yet, end quote. That's really nice. It is really nice. A 25 cent or $7.30 today novel based loosely on her life was published by Richard K. Fox in 1889 entitled, quote, Bella Star, the Bandit Queen or the Female Jesse James, end quote. Nice. 
I bet she would have loved that. I'm sure she would have. Bell's son, Ed, was convicted of horse theft in July of 1889 and served time in prison in Columbus, Ohio. Pearl raised funds for his release and was able to obtain a presidential pardon for him in 1892. Wow. He went on to become a deputy at Fort Smith, killed two outlaw siblings in 1895, but was killed in a saloon in Claremore, Oklahoma on December 14, 1896, at the age of 25. Oh, that's so young. Yeah. The owner of the land where Belle is buried rebuilt her grave in 2011 after taking possession of the property and seeing that her headstone was broken and covered in graffiti. The public is allowed to view the site of her final resting place during the day. Yeah, please don't ever go to someone's private property at night, even like to see a monument. That's so messed up and creepy. Yeah. And there are signs that say like, you're only allowed to be here during daytime, like enter at your own risk in the evening. Basically, you will be shot if you show yeah, up at night. because that's messed up, man. Yeah. If you want to go at night, like, let them know. Yeah. Schedule it. And that is the story of Bellstar, the outlaw queen of Oklahoma. Never heard of her. That's crazy. Yeah, she wasn't very well known outside of, like, Texas. So yeah. it's not surprising that I had never heard of her either. Yeah. I just thought it was amazing that she was like involved with Jesse James and stuff like that. Like that's yeah. pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Hey, adventurers, it's me, Gliza from Classical Adventures for One. Have you ever wanted to know more about the classical books that your teachers forced you to read way back when? Were you worried that they'd be dry or boring? Did you know that there's so much more genres to classical books than you have fingers? Fear not, adventurers. Let me, your dulcet voice tour guide, hold your hand and show you the very versatile world of books from the past. And maybe, just maybe, we'll learn a thing or two together. Go to Classical Adventures 4.1 or at Classical Gliza on Twitter to learn more. So this week's podcast plug is Classical Adventures for One by Glaza, who this week's episode is dedicated to. Awesome. It's a bi-monthly podcast that offers dramatic readings and explorations of fictional classics. New episodes are released on the 8th and 24th of each month, and each episode is fairly short and around 20 minutes, which allows you to binge listen to Glaza as she reads to you chapters and then offers insights into the work and fun facts about the author you may not have known. Awesome. She is currently covering Alice in Wonderland. Nice. And she's got a lovely voice that will reel you in from the moment you start listening. So I highly recommend you give it a listen if you're a lover of the classics and interested in learning more of the stories behind the stories. So cool. Yeah. So we will include a link to her podcast in the show notes. And I didn't do this on purpose. But this week's listener question is from Emily of the Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Oh, nice. Even though she, we recently did a, a live video opening presents from her this week. So I'm wearing mine too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gave us partners in crime bracelets, which is really cute. Yeah. So she wants to know if you could have any planet added back into our solar system and make sure future generations appreciate its tiny icy presence, which planet <laughs> would you choose? 
Wow, I wonder. That seems like a very loaded question. Dare I say Pluto? Yes. Honestly, the assassination, the attempt to assassinate Pluto's character was basically an assault on all millennials. And Pluto is a planet. Yeah, it is. Scientist. It is. Get out. I specifically made a point of going to the Lowell Observatory when we made our trip to visit the Grand Canyon in 2019, which is where they discovered Pluto. Yeah. And it's a very real planet. A very real planet. And it was named by a young girl. And if anyone is in the, I think it's in New Mexico. If you live anywhere near New Mexico, you need to go to the Lowell Observatory. It's super cool. They've got a lot of really fun exhibits. They've got this like solar system walk where they space out the signs that mark different planets Mm -hmm. according to an approximation of how far apart they would be from each other. Cool. And they each have like a plaque with like photos of them that talks about, you know, information about the planets. They even have a marker for like the asteroid belt. Nice. And it's really cool. And they have presentations there. They offer educational tours. They, at the time I went, still had the original observatory where the telescope was that he used. Um, I know they plan to expand on the property, and I don't know if they plan to get rid of that or not. So you'd have to, like, look it up. Yeah. But, yeah, it was super cool. And if given the opportunity, I would like to go back. Oh, so. So kudos to you, Lowell Observatory. I'm just yeah. shouting you out with no context, really. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement that Pluto needs to come back. Absolutely. Because it's a planet. Yep. Don't add us. Yeah, don't add us. <laughs> All you Pluto haters out there. Which, what a random thing to hate about if that's right? if that's your hill to die if on. That's Yeah, very specific. Yeah. So what's something good you'd like to share this week? Hmm. Getting to see you and your family in a socially distanced vitamin D fresh air manner. Mm-hmm. It was really nice to see you all again. This mm-hmm. was the first time that our family has ever attempted a socially distanced like meal. Everybody since since the pandemic. No, since last summer. We did it in the summer last year, but it was oh, once for birthdays. For birthdays, it was like for your birthday no so, it was yours it was mine yeah it was yours and Sefi's. okay combined i thought it was yours too because you had the cake Maybe. you had that oreo cake oh yeah and we brought kona yeah but either it way really it was in august and that was the last time we had a socially distant yeah. uh get together with all of us outside yeah so it was really cool see you guys and go on a walk and I'd say a good, what is it, almost half of us are of our first vaccines yep. or out of the seven. Yeah. So I, I was just really happy that we, we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. It was it was nice. What about you? I agree. Um, I would definitely say that is something good that I also am grateful for. I'm also grateful for the the fun and thoughtful gifts that Emily sent us because those were really fun. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you can see the unboxing video on Instagram. And I can. I'm excited little... to do that tabletop game with you guys. Oh man, we're gonna have to like do a video of it mm-hmm. to share with people when we do it for the first time. Yeah. 
because we got the Donner dinner party tabletop game. Truly fun cannibalism themed <laughs> tabletop <Yeah>. game. <laughs> I hope it's not super graphic. Otherwise, I'll have a hard time. I'm sure it's fine. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be, be awesome. Great. Good content, at least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I wanted to, before I forget, congratulate the winners of our March giveaway contest. So the winners are the lovely ladies of the Crime and Roses podcast. That's so cool. Congratulations. Congratulations. We are still working on getting your gifts together. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. We it's have happening. Not, it's happening. We have not forgiven. We have not forgotten. They will go out. And we also have not forgiven you for winning. How dare yeah. you win uh, a prize that we have been advertising <laughs> for a month? How dare you? How dare you win? Congratulations. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on YouTube. You can find us by searching for Yield Crime Podcasts. We also have a P.O. box, as you may have realized since we've done a couple unboxing slash letter opening videos. You can write to us or send us whatever is legally allowed to be sent in the mail to (laughs) Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, send us funny gifts, nice things you want to say to us. Yeah. And on that note, if you'd like to support us in a free way, you could leave us a rating and review. And as a special bonus incentive, this month, Podchaser is actually doing a special fundraiser type event where... For every review that is left on the Podchaser platform in April, they're going to donate 25 cents to Meals on Wheels. Nice. So leave as many reviews as you can, whether it's for our podcast or other ones. Yeah. It's such a great thing that they're doing. They'll double the donation if the podcast that you reviewed replies to your review, which if you review our podcast during April, we will absolutely respond to it to make sure that your donation is being doubled. This is an awesome cause. So we hope that you will take advantage of it again, whether you review our podcast or not. Just get out there and review as many podcasts as you can. This is an awesome opportunity to do some good without having to put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to share a five star review from our friend Mel. And she says, please listen, a true crime that covers older cases by two funny sisters. Loved the Marianne Cotton episode and lost it when the dog made a growly sound. So she was (laughs) really must have not liked something in that episode. It's been so long. Oh, funny. She says a new favorite for sure. He might have burped. He might have burped. Yeah, that might have been a belch. (laughs) (laughs) You might have just like, oh, Willie, he makes an old man burp sound. He really does. If you would like to leave us a one-time donation, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee, or you can join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. And I'd like to thank our current patrons, Rebecca, Aaron, and Trevor, who have joined at five dollars and up. So thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. So they get to enjoy not only a shout out on the show, but they get to enjoy bonus content like outtake videos of our lovely faces. 
Oh, we're so clean and beautiful and, and not yeah. smelly. Good thing it's a podcast and not a smell cast. Oh, man. The second that comes out, we're doomed. Yeah. I'm going to have to have all the scented candles lit. Yep. It'll be sponsored by Febreze. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> or Mrs. Myers. Bath and Body Works. Oh, God. Bath and Body Works. We'll bring them back from the brink. <laughs> we just sound, smell like that sweet pea. Oh, God. We smell like every middle schooler in existence. In the 90s, yeah. <laughs> You can also buy merch on our Tea Public store. We have some new designs. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. our oyster design that we mentioned at the top, as well as our Four Horsemen design. And I have another design that will be coming out the week this episode goes live. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As though this crime. <laughs>